Well, Psalm 121 starts by asking us a really, really important question. It's there in verse 1. Take a look down at it. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? It's slightly odd, isn't it, in the ESV? We would probably put it like this. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? It's not super clear in the psalm whether the hills are where the trouble is, as in, you know, a an army coming over the horizon perhaps, or where the retreat is, as in run for the hills to escape from the trouble. But I don't think it matters. The point is clear in the psalm, isn't it? The psalmist is looking for help. Where will help come from? In the Songs of Ascent, in the way that they work, they're sort of organized into groups of three. The first of the three is the trouble, the next is the salvation, and the third is the future hope. So that means I, I think that the trouble that the psalmist in is probably reflected in Psalm 120, which we looked at last week. The trouble that he's facing are the twisted words and hateful speech that makes for war, accusations coming at him like sharp arrows. But even though that's the context, I think still the general nature of verse 1 means that the psalmist is asking us this question in any kind of trouble. Whatever the trouble is that you're facing, the question is, where is help going to come from? Now, before we go any further in the psalm, I want you just to say and notice what a brilliant question that is. What a brilliant question. It is, if we are honest, impossible for us, whoever we are and whatever our stage of life, it is impossible for us to stop trouble coming to us. It's true, isn't it? You cannot dodge every diagnosis. One will get you one day. You can't control the mood of your form teacher on a Monday morning. You can't control the feelings of those around you or the words that they will use about you. The vagaries of the job market are outside of your influence and despite what you think, you cannot determine all the outcomes for your children or control their hearts or their behavior. And Psalm 121 knows that right from the off. It assumes that right from the start. It's not asking the dumb question which we ask in the world, isn't it? How can I avoid all trouble? I mean, that's the self-help book, isn't it? But the psalmist is much more honest than that. He says, no, trouble is coming. Where are you going to turn to for help? Where are you going to turn to? Now, not only is the psalmist really honest, he also doesn't keep you waiting for an answer because it's right there in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, he says. If you click the slide, Lucy, I've failed to put slide anywhere else in my notes that you're now looking at. So I'm very sorry. Where is your help going to come from, though? Your help is going to come from the Lord. There you go. Brilliant. Well done. And he goes on to repeat this idea of my help coming from the Lord because the Lord is my keeper. It comes all the way through, keeping them and watching them and uh, keeping them safe. It's repeated. So if you look down at the psalm with me, look at verse 3. He who keeps you. Verse 4, he who keeps Israel. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep. In other words, Psalm 121 is saying, for the Christian, for those who now by faith in Christ belong to God as one of his children, they can know, you can know if that's you this morning, you can know that in the midst of your trouble, whatever that trouble might be, that God is your keeper, watching over you, looking after you, protecting you, shielding you, caring for you. 
And the psalm fleshes that out in three ways, giving us three aspects of the Lord's keeping. And there's a slide for each of these. So here we go. Here's the first one. The Lord our keeper is sleepless. Sleepless. Notice that's where the psalm starts. That the creator of verse 2 is the one who is not sleepy to your trouble in verse 3. Instead, he is alert, stopping you from falling over the cliff. He's neither doing that kind of, you know, that head nodding thing when you're about to fall asleep, nor is he completely dozed off to the trouble that you're in. Instead, the psalm starts by reminding you that the creator is awake and alert to the situation that you're in. When I was in sixth form, a guy from our church gave me a lift to an open day at Birmingham University. This guy commuted from Loughborough to Birmingham, so he kindly offered me a lift on the day of the open day. We set off pretty early, as you sort of had to, because it's a long distance to commute. And I remember it particularly because it was really, really foggy. And as we were driving along on the M42 and then on the M6 down into Spaghetti Junction along to the university, it was perilous because you couldn't see a thing about where you were going. And that was bad enough. It's terrible, isn't it, to be in a car in the fog. But the worst thing was, Doug was completely unaware that it was foggy. So it seemed that he was completely unaware that it was foggy. It had no impact on his driving whatsoever as we flew along the M42 and the M6. At one stage, he said, oh, it's pretty foggy outside, isn't it? Maybe I should put my fog lights on. But the thing was, he had no idea where the fog lights were in his Rover Montego, which is the button for the fog lights. He's like, I'm like going, oh my goodness, no kidding about the fog lights, but you could slow down as well, maybe. Anyway, eventually, he decided that he'd found the button, and he put the heated rear window on and said, brilliant, at least now people will be able to see us behind. So I don't want to tell him that the heated rear window doesn't actually glow. So it's of no use in the fog at all. But it's that terrifying feeling, isn't it, of feeling like you are with somebody who is completely asleep to the danger that you're in. And the psalmist wants to start by saying, listen, you may feel that, but it's not true about God. God is not asleep. The one with sovereign power over every aspect of your life is not driving fast in the fog without the lights on. Instead, he's the opposite. You know, you might have only just noticed the trouble that's coming over the horizon, but he saw it ages ago. He knew it was coming. He's not asleep. More than that, in verse 3, he's holding on to you, isn't he? Fixing your feet firmly to the spot. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows what's being said. He knows why it's being said. He knows what's going to happen next. He knows whether that job will open up or not. He knows whether that university place will be available. He'll know whether the diagnosis will be clear. He knows whether the treatment will be successful. He knows, and he's in charge. I think if we're honest, one of the most stressful things about trouble that we face is the uncertainty that brings. You know that feeling, don't you, of all of a sudden everything that you thought has been thrown up in the air. It's humbling, isn't it? It forces us to acknowledge that for all the pretense we put up, we don't really have a clue. You know, we lift our eyes to the hills and go, wow, I didn't see that coming. And Psalm 121 says, no, but God did. God did. And he's never been sleeping. He's alert to everything you face. And he's holding your feet steady. Sleepless. Second one. Next slide. The Lord your keeper provides shade, shade. In verses 5 and 6, the image is slightly different, isn't it? Here the trouble is pictured like sun striking down on you, or even blinding moonlight or the scariness of the darkness. 
And the point is that the Lord, your keeper, is not only alert and awake to the danger that you're in, he is also shading you from it so that you'll not be burned up by it. Here the image is of God, your keeper, coming between you and the trouble, shielding you from its destructiveness. What a beautiful and reassuring image that, Christian, that the heat that you're facing this morning, that the trouble beaming down on you, will only have the impact on you to the extent to which the Lord allows it. Because he is standing between you and the trouble as a shade. Uh, Turn with me briefly to 1 Corinthians 10, because I think we see this principle in action in 1 Corinthians 10 as well. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to page 957. 957, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 9. Here Paul is talking about the benefits for the Christian of reading the Old Testament. That what is written in the past is written to teach us how to live in the present. And here's one particular way he works out that principle. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 10. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, Old Testament saints did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation or literally no trial or no test has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tried, tested, tempted beyond your ability. But with the trial, test, temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see the point? The trials, the difficulties, the temptations. Don't think you're unusual facing those. That's not unusual. Those are common to man. They will come. Everyone will face them. Especially, it seems, from the context, the temptation to give up or the temptation to grumble. Anyone face that one? But instead, what we need to know in the midst of those common temptations is that God will not let us be tried to breaking point, always providing a way out. Notice, not so much a way out of the difficulty or trial itself, but out of the grumbling and the giving up so that we can endure and not give up. God is our shade, as he puts it in Psalm 121. Listen, this morning, I'm not sure what the heat is that's burning down on you, but you know, don't you, because you're thinking about it right now. It's never far from our minds. But here's the truth. Regardless of what it is that's going on in your life, God, your keeper, stands between you and the heat. And you can trust him that whatever happens to you, you will not be destroyed and you will not be overwhelmed day or night. You do not have to give up. You do not have to grumble. God will give you the strength to press on as he stands between you and the perils of our evil world because our keeper is sleepless and he's our shade. Thirdly, he is side by side with us, side by side with us. This is the sense of that final pair in verses 7 and 8. The keeper from evil will be keeping our going out and our coming in, he says, forever and ever. In other words, the point is, you know, wherever you go, wherever you go and whenever you go there, God will be there as your keeper, keeping our life by being with us in the midst of trouble. And notice this is slightly different to the two previous images you know god is the sleepless creator he's powerful and in charge he's holding us and ruling the world he's then the sleepless shade standing between us and the trouble in our lives 
And now he's the one who is side by side with us, so much that in the midst of the trouble, not only is help not very far away, it never left you in the first place because it was with you all along from every moment in every place. In 2 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul is recounting to his dear friend Timothy that his first court trial, he faced the authorities to defend himself for preaching the gospel. Here is the Apostle Paul, who is essentially the spiritual father of much of the church of the time, right? He'd worked harder, traveled further, preached more than any of the other apostles. And here he is on trial for preaching the gospel. You would imagine, wouldn't you, that having done all of that, there would be a, a huge queue stretching to the horizon of people who would stand in his defense, come to speak on his behalf. But as he writes to his dear friend Timothy, he says, do you know what? No one came to stand. No one. There was no one there. Everybody left me, he says. I was totally deserted. And then he says what? But the Lord stood by and strengthened me. The Lord. Listen, this is the extraordinary experience of suffering Christians down through the ages and all across the world. That suffering does not destroy our fellowship with God, but in a way that is inexplicable, it enriches it and deepens it. That we learn to pray and turn to the Lord in the midst of trouble in a way that we don't in other times. To the very point when the world and the devil tell you, oh, God must have forgotten you. He must have left you. He must have abandoned you. Surely if God loved you, he wouldn't have let that happen to you. The point is that Psalm 121 says, actually, in that moment, even though it might feel like you have been abandoned, God is there with you and has been all along. And that if you turn to him, you will find actually a preciousness to his nearness in the midst of trouble that will evade you when life is easy and simple. Our sleepless shade is side by side in trouble. Now, before we finish and think about how to apply the psalm, I want us just to notice one more thing that's going on here. Think about these images and what the psalmist is saying about who God is and what he's like. He's talking here about Yahweh, the, the covenant God, the God of promise, the one who made promises to Abraham, which were passed on to Isaac and Jacob. He's the God who has saved and rescued his people. What is he like for the people who he has saved? What is he like for those who trust in him? Well, yes, he's the sleepless creator. He's shading them from evil. He's with them in every moment. But we read this, don't we, as a, a reader of the whole Bible, not just the Old Testament, not just the Psalms. Now, now think about how the whole Bible fleshes out the truths that we've seen. What have we got here? Well, I think what we've got is that this is the, the great covenant God who is also the, the triune God. You know, the sleepless ruler, look at it, the sleepless ruler, that glorious in the heavens, sovereign over all creation, mighty in his plans, majestic in all he does, unfathomably brilliant in all his ways, holding us in his hands. God the Father, the owner of the story of redemption, written from before time began, creating, ruling, and sustaining. That's those opening four verses, isn't it? Then in verses five and six, you have what? God the Son, the shade. Not so much just shading us from the, the blazing brilliance of the sunshine of the trouble that we're in, but shading us from the blazing holiness of the wrath of God at our sin. The real trouble in the universe, the trouble that we stand as sinners before a holy God, shielded now by the Son on the cross, as God the Son takes on human flesh, born of a woman, 
living in sinless perfection, giving his life in the place of sinners, bearing their judgment so that he might shade those who trust in him, saving them, what from? Not just trouble, but from eternal hell that their sin deserves, fully shaded by the cross. What have you got in verses 7 and 8? Well, you've got the life of the Spirit, haven't you? The one who is promised to us by the Son, who now dwells with us as our helper and our keeper, so that whether you go out or whether you come in, whether it's today or tomorrow, God by his Spirit is with us. Not just in his inescapable omnipresence, which all of humanity live with, even though they don't acknowledge it, but actually with us in his personal presence with us, living in us, coming with us, helping us. See, this is where you turn to, isn't it, in times of trouble. Where do you turn in times of trouble? Well, yes, you turn to the the sleepless shade who is side by side with us. But to put it more theologically, your help comes from a triune God, the only God who is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is our helper and our keeper, working in glorious Trinitarian union, together yet distinctly keeping us in the midst of trouble. Well, if that's what's going on here, let's try and think about how that actually lands practically in our lives. How do you apply Psalm 121 in the midst of trouble that you're facing? It helps us to know, I think, as we read the Psalms, that the Psalms have a single application, all of them, or a single goal, if you like. That might be a better way of putting it. What is the goal of each and every Psalm? What are they trying to do? What are the Psalms trying to do? Well, imagine that you wrote one, right? You wrote a song. What would you want people to do with a song. Sing it. Thank you, Tom. I think that was you, wasn't it? Someone's awake. Yeah, you'd want to sing it. That's the goal, isn't it? The Psalms want you to sing them, or say them at least. And here in the Psalms of Ascent, they are to sing them walking to the feast in Jerusalem. Now, that's super helpful this morning because it means, doesn't it, that for you and me, whatever we're facing, whatever the trouble is that is surrounding us this morning, the help is not just found in the truths of Psalm 121, but it is found in the singing of the truths of Psalm 121. Do you see the distinction? Helping trouble is not learning a few facts and just logging them in your brain and then walking off. No, help in trouble is found by rehearsing those truths over and over again in the midst of trouble, reminding yourself of them, singing or saying them, so much that those truths run deep into your soul and shape how you automatically respond when trouble comes. Now, let's not assume that everybody knows what that means. Let's just walk this through together. Imagine this morning that you've received some unwanted news. You know, you thought everything was going great, but you've had a checkup, and now everything's in the air. Or maybe you thought you were doing really well at school, and then you had your exam results, or a friend turned on you. Now you're dreading going into school, and you can't wait for each day to end. Or or perhaps you're overwhelmed with work. You can't see your way through. What do you do? What do you do? Well, you, you pick up Psalm 121 as you're walking down the street or as you're on your way into that meeting at work or as you're facing that difficult conversation with a friend at school. And you sing, don't you? Or you say, I was going to sing because I thought that might help you remember it, but it's almost too dreadful, so I'm not going to do it. Now, you pick up Psalm 121, don't you? And you go, what? My help comes from the Lord, who made the heaven and earth. He'll not let my foot be moved. He who keeps me is not asleep. So, you know, listen, as I go into this meeting, God's in charge of this. God's not trying to knock me over or destroy me. 
Even as my feet are on the ground right now, so too God my Father is keeping me. He's not asleep, he's not slumbering, he's not caught napping. He knew even long before that I would be in this place at this moment. You take a few more paces down the street and you pick up the next verses and you, you sing these. You know, the Lord is my shade. The Lord is my shade. He's by my right hand. He's shielding me from the trouble. The sun will not strike me by day or the moon by night. You know, you ponder on that. You think, do you know what? As bad as this situation is, I know that it's only as bad as the Lord will permit it to be. And actually, I know that in the Son, the Lord Jesus, I am shielded from the worst thing in the world. Eternal hell would be worse than this. And I have no fear of that. I'm shielded. You keep plodding along, and now, you know, your voice is ripping along. You're, you're singing at the top of your lungs. People are looking at you thinking you're strange. The Spirit is my keeper with my comings and all my goings. Whenever and wherever they happen, the Lord is with me. I was dreading this moment. I thought I was alone, but now I know he's with me. The school day is going to suck. The hospital appointment is going to be dreadful, but God, by his spirit, will be with me. I'll not be on my own. I can't be on my own. It's impossible for me to go anywhere alone because God, by his spirit, is always with me. Well, let's read Psalm 121 aloud together. And do that work in our own hearts. Let's read it aloud. You're going to have to pick up a real Bible. Unless, Lucy, do you want to go back? Can you scroll back right through to it? Brilliant. Thank you. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's have a few moments of quiet and then I'll... Uh, close in prayer and we'll sing our next song. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how we thank you that in the midst of lives of trouble and difficulty, our help comes from you. You are our keeper. You're not sleeping. You're our shade. You're with us side by side. Thank you for these great truths. Help us not just to log them in our brains, but to keep rehearsing them, to keep singing them all week, whatever it is that we're facing, that we might live lives to your praise and glory with steadfast assurance in your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.